I'm Roy Sharples. Welcome to the Unknown Origins podcast. Why are you listening to this podcast? Are you seeking inspiration? An industry expert looking for insights or are growing your career? I created the Unknown Origins podcast to provide access to insights and content from creators worldwide with inspirational conversations and storytelling about art, architecture, design, entrepreneurship, fashion, film, music, and pop culture. Independent musician Ewan Granot, the bassist in Johnny Marr's band, has toured the world and played at festivals including Glastonbury, Coachella, and Fuji Rock, and appeared on Later with Jules Holland and The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. Ewan provides a perspective on his creative process and musical journey. Hello and welcome Ewan. What inspired and attracted you to becoming a musician in the first place? I grew up in Cornwall um, and around the time that I grew up um, there was a lot of music around. Um, my dad was also a musician. He was he was in a band called Wolf Boys. Uh, he was a singer and they were signed to Rocket Records so he was he was always um showing me new you know bands and uh I grew up with Hendrix and Cream and all these bands and JJ Kale and he, he would he would put a lot of his vinyl records onto to cassettes for me and then I would generally just listen to music in my room and he, he always had lots of guitars and uh around the house so I was always always intrigued by it so I sort of took that into school really I'm really digging your debut six-track EP, Out on a Limb. Let's listen to Lesser Known. Yeah. 
what does being a musician mean to you? For me personally, it's, it's everything. You know, you know, it takes it. You know, it takes over my whole life. Really, um, it, um, the creative side is very important for me um, mentally as well. To to be able to put stuff down, really, to to be able to write lyrics and put melodies down, and um, I think you know, I think I'd probably be pretty lost without it, and um, and also the you know the playing side and the people I've met and who are all you know, there's a lot of a lot of music friends that I know that are all you know that I'm very close to, and all the people. You know, obviously meeting Johnny and um, Joe Moss and all these people that have um, been with me for years, really, and and then meeting their people. It's always like a sort of a spider's web, isn't it? As soon as you yeah. meet what, a one person that sort of goes on to other people. And they're all really close, you know. We've all, we're all still close. And you you have that connection as well you know that the music connection and what you talk about and your friendship and it's just a ma- massively important and um i value those people as well and they're, they're very they're very close to me and the same with my wife lauren she's she's um close to a lot a lot of all all the, the people i've met through music and um yeah i you know i can I couldn't live without it to be honest it's it's such a massive part of my life really and it takes up takes up a lot of my time really and even even time when you're meant to be sleeping and your brain's your brain's still thinking about a song or you know you're trying to get a lyric or trying to learn something and you you know you've not quite got got it quite right it's um uh yeah it does take take a lot of your time up really admirable that you discovered your creativity at a young age and you had obviously the influence of your dad and others around you and then you you obviously felt that passion and pursued that um through the whole of your life and it and to have so much meaning to you is, is really inspiring then took it upon yourselves to then migrate to to manchester and i remember you mentioning before that you you rocked up at joe moss's kind of door what was the thought process behind that and what why did you gravitate towards joe well joe um joe used to come down to cornwall to see a friend of his um and he 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 would co- go down come travel down quite a lot um he loved yeah. it down there and um yeah. he loved the sea and um he used to sit and watch the surfers and he 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 just loved the whole vibe of Cornwall really and we sort of his friend um said that there was a good band down there and he he slowly started to sort of introduce himself to us really and um he never really he would come come back and he'd come and see us and he'd have his holiday and he'd come back and he we we slowly started to to be uh be strong friends really yeah all of us with him and, and it it was friendship first he didn't he didn't sort of put on the the you know you know there's some sort of manager side of things you always sort of think that a manager's going to say i'm a manager of this and i do this <laughs> and sort of promote themselves and you know when you're younger that's your sort of that's what you think yeah you uh, managers do and he he didn't he didn't really do that he he sort of we just got to got on with you know really well and we'd have a drink you know drink wine and listen to music and he would um show us certain tracks and um he was working with a band called marion at the time phil cunningham's in marion now he's who's he's in uh he's in new order now he's a good friend of mine but actually plays in the sea fever with us so yeah we he he was managing marion at the time and um they were doing really well um I think they're on the second album and um, it didn't, you know, it didn't work out for them, but um, he, he never said that he, you know, he wanted to manage. He slowly built it up and we built a friendship up and then he started to come to gigs and, and then he said to us when it got to a point, he, his, his main thing was writing really. He said that, you know, you need to write as many songs as you can and work out your sound, you know, work out, um, 
what everyone did in the band and, and you know, work out everyone's strengths in the band and then bring them all together, you know, as one really. And he, um, he sort of nurtured it. He nurtured us as a band and we, we started to write. At the time we were kind of, we were into our sort of heavy about, you know, like grunge, into the grunge scene. So we would separate our set out. We would play some covers and then we would start to play our own stuff as well. And it's it was half and half. We slowly started to to get rid of the covers and then bring in a full set of our own stuff. Um, and then when we got to that point, it was we were it was time to sort of, sort of see if we you know wanted to make a big move. Really, he he said if you if you want to give it a go or you know you want to try and you know make it your livelihood. It, uh, he, he suggested moving to Manchester, and I think, I think at the time he, it might have been a bit of a test. Yeah. It might have been something to say. Well, he didn't push it on us. He just said it once. He was very much like that. He would say something, not loads and loads. He would say it maybe a couple of times, and then you would think about it and and wonder, right? Is he saying to to make that move? And he would let he would leave it up to you. Really, he wasn't he wasn't pushy in that sense. Yeah. And then it came to a point where we decided to do it. It took a, it took a while for us to sort of figure out how to do it. Um, but there was a there was an opportunity because there was a guy called Nathan Kemp. It's quite a, a story, really. It's a guy called Nathan Kemp that that I don't know if you ever saw the saxophone in Tip Street. Yes. Do you remember that? Yeah, there's like a big sculpture. Nathan Kemp is from Cornwall, and he he was putting that sculpture up at the the, the oh, time. Right. So he said to us, he he knew that we were we were thinking of going to Manchester, and he said, "Well, there's a place, there's a hotel called the Dominion. We finished putting the saxophone up. There's a week there for you." to just have that hotel room we'll just you just have to sneak in <laughs> so you just have to sneak in i'm not i'm i'm a bit unsure of whether that was when we actually moved up or, or that was when i think that was when we moved up because then we got a flat after that but yeah. we had to pretend to be the the builders putting up <laughs> sculpture so we would creep in and there was far too many of us you, you know i don't think there was as many builders as in the band and so we sneaked in um and we stayed there for a week and then um we slowly started to get a a flat but before we before we did that we we turned up at Joe's door doorstep you know we just turned knocked on his door and um <laughs> his family were there and i remember you know seeing ivan and uh, edie and stella and they were sort of hiding behind joe and and uh, and it was obviously they were pretty not shocked, but they were like, "What's you know what's going on there?" <laughs> Everything in the van, and we just turned up. So, either the Dominion was when we were we came up to have a look at Manchester. Maybe that was what we did first, yeah. I think, and then we came back, and then we started to figure out how to come up properly. And then I think the second stage is when we turned up at Joe's and um, just knocked on his house, and he. Um, I think he was pleased, but he was also like, you know, what, what am I going to do with them? You know, yeah. we, we, we put everything in a van. Gary's dad, Gary, the singer, um, dad drove us up. We put all our amps in there. We put like our duvets, pillow, pillows, and, you know, everything that you owned, which wasn't much really. And we, I think we signed off in Penzance and then we eventually signed on in Stockport. So it was like, <laughs> And that was it. We were we were sort of ready to go. You know, we were ready to 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 make that step. And I think at first for Joe, it was a little bit, um, little bit of a shock for his his family as well. You know, because we yeah. stayed in in Joe's um, in uh, Janet uh, Janet his wife at the time. We stayed stayed at the spare room right at the very top, and they were great. They were you know we really got on well with them and. Um, yeah. Um, we settled in there and then we eventually, I can't remember how long we stayed at Joe's for, we eventually got a flat, which was near in Eatonmore. Yeah. And 
we we still had to lie to get into that flat because we had to lie that Gary and Tom, the drummer, were brothers and they were coming up to find work. So yeah. we were we there was no other way of doing it really. We really needed the flat and we had to pretend that it was only Gary and Tom in the flat. And then as soon as they settled in, we moved in. <laughs> me and Nat the, Nat, the guitarist, moved in and we me and Tom stayed in one room and Gary and Nat stayed in the other room. And we literally didn't have, we had no money and there was one bed in each room. So one of us would have sleep on the bed base, not even have a mattress on it. And the other one would have the mattress. So possibly why my back's so bad. I, I drew the short straw and got the, the bed base and Tom, Tom got the mattress. So, um, and eventually when we started to, um, get settled in we started to uh, you know we were able to buy stuff but we were, we were yeah. really skint we didn't have we didn't have anything really it was all about it was all about music really we put everything into if there was any sort of any money made we would we would buy recording stuff or we'd buy stuff like that so you know the other stuff just didn't didn't matter to us which you know not the most healthy way to live but we kind of got through it in the end it's admirable that hustle that you can hard and determination just to kind of make it and the perseverance and sacrifices you had to make along the way how, how did manchester itself when you moved there how did that influence your creativity definitely because we um a lot of the manchester bands we we didn't know we obviously heard of them, but we we didn't know much about them. We weren't we weren't really listening to to a lot of them, and we we just through Johnny and Joe we discovered all all of the Manchester scene, and um, we loved it, you know. But we were we were because we're growing up in Cornwall. There was a different sort of scene there. Really, it was it's kind of a bit heavier. There was a lot of grunge stuff and um, industrial and metal stuff, really, but. Um, when we were younger, that was that's what because it was a surf sort of skateboarding scene, so that's what everyone was sort of listening to, really. Yeah, and um, so we knew of the bands and we'd heard of them, but we'd not gone we'd we'd not gone in to listen to you know albums of you know Smiths and uh, Doves and Baddy Drawn Boy and all these bands that around at the time, and when we when we started to go to night and day and Joe, Joe was adamant that we spend a lot of time in night and day. And, um, we did, we used to hang, hang around there a lot and we started to meet these bands, you know, Doves and Elbow were there and, um, Joe had introduced us to a lot, a lot of these bands. So not only were we like learning about their, the scene in Manchester, um, we were meeting some of them. So, you know, which was which was amazing, really. Yeah, you, you'd be sat at the bar night and day, and uh, Damon might walk in and have a chat with you, and Joe would introduce you to Guy Garvey and all these these music, you know, uh, bands that are doing doing really well at the time. And there was a big scene around night and day around that time. There was a lot of um, great live music. You know, some really some really good bands and we started to, we were, we were obviously, we were very nervous we were, because it was a completely different scene altogether. And we were actually quite, when we first moved up, we were pretty scared of Manchester because it was, we were so used to being by the sea and, yeah. you know, the city to us was, was very strange. You know, it was quite daunting and parts of Manchester at the time were, were, were struggling a bit as well. So, we were we were trying to sort of build a confidence up really but uh, but going into going into night and day and then starting to go to lots of gigs and then getting the flat and then us doing um Danny Donnelly who uh had the blue cat cafe um in Heatermore we had a really good connection with him we we walked past um the bar we we used to when we first moved in Heat and More, we, we ended, obviously you would go to the pubs and you start meeting people and we slowly started to get some friends around there. And we walked past Danny's and just looked in at it and he saw that he had some bands in there and we, and we were too we were too scared to go in there. 
you know, because yeah. we were quite young. And we walked past her looking in and thinking, well, there's a guy there with a guitar there, so maybe we should, you know, maybe we should ask if, if he if he'd be up for putting a band on or, and I think, like, I think one of us we sort of like pushed one of us to go in there because we were just so nervous it was crazy really to think of it now and then eventually we 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 all went in there and da- Danny was amazing he immediately was like intrigued by what's this band doing in Heat and More from, from Cornwall and we eventually gigged in there and um, we played in there all the time you know and, and then we ended up getting some work in there as well we'd do spit bar work and we rehearsed around the back and he was amazing because without him we'd have we'd have had nowhere to play and um, we had a really good setup then because we could we, we rehearsed around the back and then we would try the songs out and slowly sort of built up before this was before we went into Manchester and Joe yeah. Joe said it was important to build up the song and build up the set and not go into Manchester too early. We were going into night and day and sort of showing our faces, but we weren't we weren't ready to gig in there really. We we were yeah. sort of building the set up in Heat and More. And That's then awesome. and then we eventually moved to moved into night and day and started doing a residency in there. Creativity inspires urban development, which attracts bohemians and artists with the attraction of being exposed to innovative ideas. Like-minded people and innovations is more likely to happen than in rural areas. Drawing more creatives to these open-minded, modern and progressive communities and the culture and amenities that come with them by forming a social system with distinct values attitudes and feelings learned and transmitted from each generation. So much of it is about time, place and occasion. And in a way, the Night and Day Cafe was your CBGBs. The Night and Day Cafe has always had a good reputation for pioneering live music and supporting alternative bands. And I recall many bands performing there in their fledgling years in particular. And many prominent bands have um, passed through there such as Jesse J, Paolo Nartini Kasabian, Arctic Monkeys Manic Street Preachers as well as it providing the, the, the backdrop to Johnny Marr's Dynamo video industrial cities with a maker and doer ethos such as Manchester, Detroit, Glasgow have always had that industrial grit about them and an attitude and a creative aesthetic and identity that creates a certain look, feel and style. Though more exclusively to to Manchester, it's the birthplace of the Industrial Revolution. Also, Manchester has been the main driving force behind the British independent music movement of the 1980s and the Manchester scene. At this point of your band's evolution, the wind is firmly in your sails. How did your engagement with Johnny Marr come about? Joe managed the Smiths for a period of time and Joe and Johnny were, were very very close um, I think Johnny used to work for him in uh, Joe, Joe used to have a, like a uh, a clothing store yeah. and Johnny would go in a lot a lot into the, the I think it was called Crazy Face yes um, and they were very close very very close and um, Joe introduced us to Johnny really when we when we started to get more involved and then he started to manage managers I, I think we we went over to Johnny's um if I remember I think we were taking over um a Hammond keep uh Hammond organ over to him that he'd left at the studio so we we drove it over I think Joe drove it over and we we helped him take it over to Johnny's yeah. and we we met Johnny from there really and he he, I think he might have been intrigued of us well with, with the Cornish connection. Yeah. Um, but, you know, his whole family, him, Angie and Sonny and Niall, they were just great and really, really nice. And we all clicked, really. We, we, all, um, we all got on really well. And um, he, he, was into, he was into the music we were making and... Um, um, we were we learned about you know he would show us a lot of music and we learned more about the Smiths we we sort of knew a bit more by then and yeah. um, 
he was doing, I think around that time as well, he was doing the healer's stuff um, around the time of Boom Slang as well. Yes. Um, that, that album, which is a brilliant album. And he, we just got on really well. And I think it's, we've known each other for like 20 years now. And he, he's always just very inspiring. And he, he did the, he produced the first album when we got, we eventually got a deal. Um, we did, we, I think we did six songs before we did between the senses and, um, and then we eventually did between the senses and he, he changed a lot of, um, just the way we wrote and the way the, the way that album turned out, some of the songs were completely different. Um, and he, we worked really, really well. He worked really well with Nat, who, um, Nat Waste and the guitarist, obviously he, they built up a connection and Nat's, Nat plays for Ben Howard now. Um, that, and he, he eventually moved back to Cornwall. Um, but he, he got me to sing. He got, um, I think Jack sings on the album. Um, I think Nat even sings a bit on there, but he would, he would push you. He would be, he would sort of bring out stuff that you didn't know that you had in you really. And that's how, that's how I probably first started singing through doing BBs on the Haven, the first Haven album. And um, then I took that on sort of live really, but he, I would have probably just played bass. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't really thinking about doing any singing. It was quite strange, really. I was just sort yeah. of, I didn't, I just didn't think I could sing really. So he, he really, he brought a lot out of all of us, really. There was, there was loads of stuff. We learned about equipment. We learned about different bands and um, we would go to see different bands, live bands. It, it, it just sort of, it opened it opened us out, all of us really. We, we around that time, um, everyone was just wanted to write, and everyone yeah. we, we would write together, and then Nat and Gary would write together. We would do different bits, but everyone just was really inspired around that time when that album was being written. I think there was another room where, where we wrote um, more tracks, and we started to build up even more music, and. Um, yeah, it was just, it was an amazing time. And we, we were all, you know, we were all really happy. It was a, it was a great time. We were starting to feel, um, felt like we belonged in Stockport, Manchester area. We started to feel more comfortable, the, the sort of, we were getting more confident and, and we learned there's a, there's a confidence in Manchester that we didn't really have. And Jack had joined the band at, at this point as well, and he gave a huge confidence uh, from being from Manchester as well. So, um, And he brought a lot to the band, so um, we kicked on from there. We started to change, really, and it was, it was a great time. It was just, I, I remember all those, especially the studio time, we, um, we'd spent late late nights recording and and that album did really well you know we we I still I mean I haven't listened to it for a while I think I heard say something um not so long ago and um you know I'm really proud of that album I think we're all really proud of it and it 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 taught us how to how to how to write and it taught us how to uh, to to get involved with our instruments and singing, it was it was a really good time. Segwaying into another song from Ewan's debut EP, this one is called "On the Mind." Don't let me see What 
creative process initiates and iteratively turns an idea into its final form and brings it to life through a progression of thoughts and actions. By applying creative and critical thinking and applied practical problem solving. In general, all musicians go through three phases, dream, make and do, to transform their nascent ideas into music. Ewan, how do you dream up new ideas? and then develop those ideas into concepts, and then turn those concepts into songs? Some songs will start differently. Um, sometimes I'll just try and try and put a beat up or play, play around with some um, sample stuff or um, just play around with a drum machine on the, on the laptop or, and just try and get an interesting rhythm. And you can sometimes start, start something from that so you've just got a bed of um sample drums or um drum machine yeah. or whatever and sometimes if it i'll mess around with the sound of it and change it so it'll sound a bit bigger and then then i'll maybe start to put um a guitar or a synth down but it's generally different because some of the some of the songs i think in the my the first single I did started from the synth, uh, yeah. a synth melody. And that sort of sticks all the way through really. Only, I think it only, it's only got like two, two chords of, it only changes slightly in the chorus. There's not, there's not loads of chords on it. And um, that was, that was generally through a synth, synth melody and a beat. And then, then I'd sing on top of it. Sometimes there's bare bones of, of chords and then I'll get a rough melody and then the words are usually just nonsense for, for the first, for the start-off point, I think. I think in the Maya was, was in, in denial. It was loads, loads, of, it was, you're in denial or you're in the Maya. We, I changed loads of words until eventually... Um, stuck on in the mire and then once you get the sort of melody a rough melody i will generally re-sing it a few times and then change change the melody slightly in here and there just so it's not too samey and then um then i'll probably i might even add an extra bit of music at the end sometimes i add blocks of music and then just just 
um, put them within the track or move them around or because some sometimes some of the songs of like out on the limb which is on the EP I mean that was six minutes long that's that is six minutes but but it was it was nearly eight minutes because it had so much stuff on it but I'll put quite a lot of different different sections and then I'll find out if it's too too much and you, you have to be quite ruthless at the end of yes. it. Kind of delete a lot of stuff at the end and then shrink it all down. Stanley Kubrick shot millions of reels of film, knowing that most of it would end up on the cutting room floor. Like music making, you assemble and refine different pieces to create a cohesive whole, which shows that the creative process can be half inspiration and half elimination. But other ones... Um, like second guess was a guitar was an acoustic guitar part and I just transferred it to a keyboard part and um, that's not got a full full kit on it that's just got um, uh, a computer you know laptop like a drum machine on it and my friend Tom uh, Twem Tom Twemler he does the he plays the drums and then he mixes the songs. So what I'll do is when I get to a point that the song is sort of nearly there, I'll, I'll generally send it over to Tom and then he'll, he'll work. We'll look at drums or we'll look on, look on the rhythmical side and then we'll take it into Hope Mill Studios yeah. and then do a day of drums. And sometimes we'll do five or six different rhythms you know we'll we'll put a, a lot of stuff down and then and then we'll we'll change it in the mix and and he's he's brilliant you know he's a brilliant drummer and he on the initial the start of all the music we did we were writing bits together we did some sort of instrumental stuff um and that's how i started really the whole like writing process a lot of it was instrumental stuff and I would sing yeah, yeah. BB stuff on it but I never really it's only since I'm trying to think how long it probably about three or four years that I've actually started to sing on stuff um, it was all just R's and O's and, yeah. and I, I, I would never sort of I'd never go to that next step really I was I was too in, into the actual music side so I was trying to write stuff for sync, sync stuff which is quite I mean it's quite hard to get um, stuff synced there's a lot of a lot of new uh, musicians that are doing it and um, I started off doing that and we would do we would do all sorts of different kinds of music there would be like I remember us writing a track that was kind of like a um it was all classical, really. It was all like, um, I think it was called Heavy as a Crown. Me and Tom put that together. And we did bits of trying to do different styles of music. We did like six tracks and they were all completely different. Um, one was quite synthy and one was stringy. And yeah. and we tr we tried to get some, some sync stuff from that. And then I eventually just decided to turn stuff into songs really and start to sing on stuff. But I play the acoustic a lot. I do like, I do like playing the guitar and a lot, some of the most highest cymbals started off from a full acoustic guitar, um, a detuned acoustic guitar melody. And, um, yeah, that was kind of, that came quite fast. The lyrics came quite fast on that as well, but it's, it's very, it's very, you know, it's very different sometimes. I mean, I mean, you could, you know, you could work on the synth part or you could work on um, a piano part. And then yeah. Yeah. if something clicks in your head where you think you're thinking it's, you can sing on it or you can feel like something good's going to happen, then um, you'll just start working on it. Or sometimes you could start working on a section and it, it just doesn't work and you leave it and you move on to something else. So it's all very varied, really. It has been through throughout the EP. Um, that was a lot of them were written quite differently, really. Um, yeah, so it's the, the process. is it, It's just something that you think is going to spur you on to, to write that path. A full song from it really it sounds like you you get frequently inspired by 
starting with a rhythm um, yeah. and yeah. building building from there. And then also, I, I loved your point as well around, you know, like your you rapidly experiment through doing or um, different instrumentation or applying different kind of techniques or thought processes. And then you're throwing everything into that. Then you get to a point where, you know, your point around the eight minute song down to the six minute where you've then got to start rapidly eliminating and being ruthless within that process and being driven by being guided almost by the vision of the song and how that then starts to play a way in dictating what should be in or what should be out. Yeah, I, I think sometimes um, I will... Sometimes I think it always needs another section and sometimes you don't, you know. Yeah. you can. I think with Lesser Known, which was the first, the focus track for the EP, it was very simple. I think it's actually got the same chords all the way through it. Um, and it was the same with... Haven when we did say something um, that's got I think that's got four chords and it's the same all the way through sometimes you know you can try and overcomplicate things and then and and if it's there it's there you know you don't you you don't you know you don't need to have uh, chords and stuff but other songs it's different you know other songs you can go oh that'd be nice if it just went to this chord or yeah. or if you can build it up but it's all about the song really how how well the the melody works with it really yes um the stuff i've been doing recently with sea fever with um tom chapman phil beth and elliot has been there's been a lot of singing on top of music that's already been there which is which has been really good because it's totally different music to what i would normally not totally different, but it's 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 a different style. So you it will bring something up different within your voice. You kind of um, because you don't know the music as much. Yeah, you something happens. Something different will happen. You know, because you when you first like someone would send some stuff over, and um, when you first hear it, your initial thing is to just sing on it straight away. And sometimes those initial melodies stick, you know, and sometimes you can't like, sometimes because you put a bit of feeling in the first ever vocal you put down, it's hard to replicate it because you will, you'll probably be singing different words yeah, and it'll be mumbly and stuff, but there'll be something good about it. So you sometimes have to try and fit the words around your initial sort of melody. Um, and that's, that's what's great about writing really. Cause, mm. cause if I, if say they Tom would send something, I would listen to it and then straight away I'll put stuff down. And then sometimes it gets kept, you know, or I'll try and I'll try and see if I can just adapt the words and just try and get that same feeling. But, um, with lesser known on the EP for ages, I had had the melody and I knew the melody. I was happy with the melody, but I just couldn't get the words. It was taking, it took, it took a long time that one because the, the, the melody I sang, I sort of lived with it too long, I think. And the words, so I had, I literally had to try and fit the words and sometimes the words might not make sense, you know, but yeah. they'll they'll work with it, you know, they'll work with the melody. And um, the the bit where it goes lesser known was just a chant, and um, it didn't have any words. And so it 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 was a bit of a struggle that one. It took took me took me quite a while to get the to match the the words to the melody I think I think sometimes you can when you're happy with the melody you can sit with it and you can listen back to it but you can live with it for too long because you live with those those nonsense words that don't really mean anything because you just put it down and then you struggle you really (laughs) struggle to try and fit fit words around it then but um but other tracks like high symbol the lyrics once I've found the high symbols about gambling yeah so once I found the subject, that was really, those words came quicker than any of them really. They came, um, 
because it was a subject. Sometimes yes. you try yes. too too hard to find the subject when it doesn't have to be a subject. And it doesn't have to mean, you know, it doesn't have to make perfect sense, you know. It can just be what you're sort of feeling at the time, really. Making music is iterative and constant, encompassing idea inception, concept development, orchestration of musical talent and instrumentation, bringing it all together and making it cohesive within a finished product. Ewan, what are the key skills required to be a musician? I don't read music. I, I learned, I, I did at one point when I was younger, um, learning piano lessons in St. Just in Cornwall. And I used to have regular piano lessons, but I didn't really take to piano. Um, I was more intrigued with the guitar and I sort of fell away from learning. When I was going to piano, I was learning the, I was learning um, how to read music and I started to get into it, but I didn't, it didn't really stick with me really. I, I started, I moved on to the guitar and I started to get more into sound really and learning, um, learning stuff from cassette tapes. I said before, uh, before I think that my dad used to put his albums on onto cassettes for me, and um, I used to learn them. You know, I'd, I would try and work out the key and whether it was detuned or. Yeah. And I did that when I was very young, um, and a lot of the time you get it wrong, um, but you'd get close to it. And my friend Nat, as well, it was the, the guitarist in the Haven. He he was doing that as well. And we were listening to some terrible stuff at the time, you know, we were listening to sort of like <laughs> metal and all sorts of stuff, but it was, it was hard music. It was hard to play. So yeah. whether yeah. you liked it or not, it probably helped us um, to learn, you know, bass playing or guitar playing. And um, we would just sit and learn songs and they would be quite difficult. Some of them, and we worked out, you know, detuned stuff. And um, we, yeah, we took that on to then, for when we did grunge stuff and then we did the indie side of things, it was a lot simpler because we'd already learned this sort of technical music. So we we did it all from listening, really, from, from um, listening to um, songs. And, I mean, we weren't even... I think a lot today you can do stuff on YouTube and learn, yes. have lessons on YouTube, but we would, we would listen to the music and that would be it. And we sit there. I mean, I used to sit hours in my room. Learn. I mean, I was playing a lot of guitar around that point, but I'd be learning like Hendrix stuff or, um, JJ Kale, um, yeah. all sorts of stuff. A lot of, um, band you know obviously band stuff 60s and 70s stuff and um as well as all the sort of grunge scene and all the maybe a bit of industrial stuff and um that's i would we would all know a lot of songs and then we they would then take them to the you know we take covers into the band we play the covers it would be like you know rage against the machine and all that kind of yeah. stuff that was around the corner at the time rage against the machine pretty were a massive thing down there. Um, so we would learn all this stuff and we could play it all, you know. Um, and it was hard, you know, a lot. It was hard to play. It was hard to, um, it wasn't easy stuff. And that, that in turn sort of helps you massively, really. You, you start to, you start to be able to go to your instrument and know where, you know, if you're going to, where an A note is and then, yeah. If you want to play an octave higher or you want to, you started to know all this, this stuff without um, learning music. We didn't, we didn't learn any music really. We, we did stuff with tab, um, guitar tablature and stuff like that, but we, we never got involved in, in learning music. We, we just, um, we just did it all by ear. Everything was by ear, you know, and we could, we would be in a room and when someone started to play, you'd look at, what key they are in or, and then copy it yeah. and then start to add your own thing to it. So it was all by ears and eyes, really. It was, um, it was, I think there's, I mean, there's quite a lot of musicians that have done it that way, but, um, 
that was like the most enjoyable way for me. That's that's what I sort of fell in love with, really fell in love with kind of being able to to pick up stuff and learn songs, you know. I like how your points around learning through intuition, observation and instinct. I also appreciate that by not being, let's say, classically trained per se, probably opens you up to more experimentation and by not following a precise formula, whereas one plus one equals three, in that you're finding and discovering how to how to make music at your own pace and in your own style. Looking at your rear view mirror, Ewan, what advice would you give yourself if you were 18 again today and know what you do now? What would you do differently, if at all anything? I wouldn't change anything that we were music-wise that we were doing. I mean, there's a lot of stuff around that, you know, we were listening to stuff. Probably I might have changed my taste a bit. (laughs) You know, I might have... um, I might have sort of maybe not listened to maybe so much heavier stuff. Was, I mean, that some of the stuff was pretty bad, but it was like we were we were actually were a metal band at one point. You know, we were playing we were playing metal songs. I'd probably I'd probably have listened to some different music, perhaps. But it's hard to say because all that kind of the playing ability of that you have to be you have to know your instrument to play that kind of stuff. So it did in turn help. Yeah. But it would probably be, yeah, I'd probably have changed what I was listening to a bit, I think. You know, I probably wouldn't have gone too much into that sort of side of things. But um, we were, we did actually go through quite a range of music, you know. And, and then when we eventually moved to Manchester, that it completely changed, you know. We, yeah. we, there was... Um, all sorts of music and and now even even today really I'm just doing stuff with um playing with different musicians uh you know the synths the synth side of thing that I I didn't really know about for for a while like um it's probably only the last sort of seven years or so I've sort of been moved into to sort of learning bits about synth stuff and um, combining it with with the guitar side as well because I started on the guitar and then I sort of fell into bass playing really when when we were younger there were, we had too many guitarists in the band so we um, I ended up playing bass and then I think I was singing at the point but that was when we were going through heavy stuff yeah. and um I stopped singing for a long while then because Gary joined the band with Haven and then we, I just concentrated mainly on sort of bass playing and BBs really. Yeah. But I wouldn't, I don't think I'd change anything about the, um, the upbringing side of, of, of growing up around in Cornwall because I think if we didn't have that, if we weren't doing all this band the you know, we were, we were obsessed with, doing band stuff you know we were obsessed with playing all the time and we didn't I mean I didn't even take music at school but we would play assemblies at school and we yeah. would play you know we would play Nirvana songs or maybe heavy metal stuff in, in assemblies because our, our music teacher was great I think it's called Mr Everett he he would the the classroom was opened, you know, you could go in there at lunchtime and you could play the guitar or you could play the bass or whatever and um, do that in your lunchtimes. But I didn't actually take music. I'd, um, I would just hang around the music yeah. room, every, you know, and, and take it outside and me and Nat would play stuff in, you know, we would um, learn stuff in at home and stuff and then, and then take it to the practice room and, yeah. um, so that side of it, I wouldn't change. Maybe just my taste of it. <laughs> <laughs> so looking forward, what's your vision for the future of music? Well, I think I think a lot of a lot of live stuff, especially, is going to be more focused on on online. You know, um, which obviously because of everything that's happening at the moment, that's, that's going to, that's going to change things quite a bit. I think until everyone can start playing live again, I think there'll be a lot of visual 
more visual stuff to do with music. I mean, obviously there's there's um, videos and every band would probably do a video and stuff like that. But I think it, there'll be more creative sides. I think a lot of musicians will be trying to learn stuff visually as well, you know, putting videos together and putting online performances together. So I think, I think that is probably going to be the, the future um, for the time being until everyone can start playing live. Um, myself, I would, you know, um, I'll just be keep keeping writing really. Um, and hopefully soon we'll be doing some, uh, Johnny's writing at the moment. So hopefully we'll be getting together to do a bit of recording. And the plan is next year to do some gigs really. Um, but we don't know. It's, it's all completely up in the air. So, um, but my plan personally is just to keep just to keep writing really and to keep to keep busy you know you have to um recently I've had a bit of a gap from it just to have a sort of break from it after the the EP yeah got released we did a lot of sea fever stuff um a lot of recording um and so I've had recently just had a bit of a break from it, but I've, I'll be starting up again soon and um, hopefully we'll be going back in the studio of Johnny at some point. Um, but as I say, it's a little bit, it's it's hard to say at the moment. It's, it's very unknown. I just think a lot of stuff is going to be based around um, a visual aspect with bands. I think they're going to, there's going to be a lot of, online stuff so yeah is it'll turn to real gigs perhaps oh, I don't know there'll be someone but you know I think that sort of there's, there are a lot of bands that have got stuff booked in but um, I don't suppose any anyone knows to degree so yeah. that's the that's the yeah that's the problem really um, and it's fingers crossed that, that there are you know, especially for smaller venues, that there there are the venues there to play. You know, I think the problem is there'll be a lot of recorded music, which is great. That's that's, ne- that's never a bad thing to have lots of releases. But then, when the time comes for the live live scene to come back, there there'll also be a lot of bands wanting to play in the same places. So I think it, first off, it will probably be a bit of a struggle for 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 a lot of musicians but then I think it will sort of um, start to get back on its feet and that's the that's the big hope really Guiding us into the future is the signature song from Ewan's debut EP Out on a Limb <laughs>
Do you want to learn more about how to create without frontiers by unleashing your creative power? Then consider getting Creativity Without Frontiers, How to Make the Invisible Visible by Lighting the Way into the Future. It's available in print, digital and audio on all relevant book platforms. listening to the unknown origins podcast please follow subscribe rate and review us for more information go to unknownorigins.com thank you for listening